Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Week three of the big league season, week three of the lounge. Scotty B, Big O, we've had a blast so far chatting in depth with Chipper Jones and Gary Sheffield. And this week we're going to take you a little further back, although not too far back, because then also, you know, you have two lives here where we're about to chat with Lou Pinella. You've got playing days lives. Oh, and then you've Lovely. got managing days too. Yeah. And again, successful in both uh, world series uh, champion in both. Uh, with the Yankees, and then you can remember the 90s, uh, you know, great uh, Cincinnati Reds team. So, you know, Lou is a fascinating guy, a guy that I respect. Obviously, I came up through the Yankee chain, and when I got called up in 87, he was managing, I believe it was only his second year, he was like 46 years old, and and uh, I just remember him being, honestly, feisty. The last few years that I've known <laughs> Lou, you know, he's mellowed out, and he's just a wonderful human being, beloved Scotty B., when I say beloved in Tampa Bay and New York, I, I don't know. I know they love him in New York, but but he is one of the native sons of, of the Tampa Bay area, and, uh, and rightfully so. Yeah, he's fun. He's fiery. He's a personality, and you'll hear plenty from him. He does not yeah. hold back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he told me private stories that I hope he shares a couple because, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, he was able to cross over. Remember, he came in. Like in those early 70s, right after, you know, the mantle for, you know, and that era was kind of ending. So he got to be around it and definitely was around George, a young George Steinbrenner and a young Billy Martin. Dare I say any more? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It gets me thinking because I just want to continue to to unveil what we're doing here for everyone listening on SiriusXM, whether you're downloading us on Apple, Spotify, et cetera, is the fact that this was a core idea that was nice and simple, okay? We're working with the MLB Players Alumni Association. They set up events and connect former players in all different worlds where someone's looking to connect with a former player for a business venture, for an appearance, or whatever else it is. That's what the MLB PAA is for. And we were chatting one day, and we said, oh, we you know, we're coming across these amazing humans that used to play in the game, these huge names, right? That were, were sometimes difficult to get for an interview, right? Like, you know, especially during their playing days. I mean, we're in a podcast format here. It's not like you can just grab the devices you know, Pinella for an hour and, and be like, hey, we're doing a podcast. And all, But here's <laughs> the kicker, too. I said, all right, so here, here's the, I call it a, a value prop, right? Your value proposition, your uniqueness is that, we can open the door to the world for all of these former players um, in one spot for you to listen to their story, both current, um, what they're doing now. And then in the past, their playing days, one of the other things that I really liked, Oh, was the fact that they're not in the game anymore. So right. that leads to a lot your of usually epic segment of no Hey Jose, but also just in yeah. general, the interview is different because you have to be a little bit more guarded sometimes when you're playing, especially 
you know, the sport has changed a lot in the last decade, but before that, you really have to be careful about what you're saying. You don't want to be too cocky around teammates. Like this is a spot where you can just chill with us and completely let loose. So that's why I like those conversations every once in a while, you know, Oh, there'll be a yes, former sir. player that really speaks that hey, goose gossage always has, has a field day, but people no like that, that can suddenly say things. And that's what we're here for. We want to capture those moments, those thoughts, those feelings, those opinions. So I think we'll, we'll put Lou on the list and we'll put him on the spot right now. And we will officially open up the lounge today for Lou Pinella. An 18 year big league all-star rookie of the year. Two-time World Series champ. He's at the table. He also managed for a casual 23 years. Honored with three Manager of the Year awards. Picked up another World Series ring. The great, sweet Lou Pinella is in the lounge. Lou, how's life? Well, life is okay. I've had some physical problems here over the past few years. But I've gotten better. I still play my golf. I still do some fishing. So (laughs) things can't be all that bad. And I enjoy my family. And I don't miss the traveling and the pressure of, of, of being in the baseball arena all the time. He looks great. He looks uh, good. He looks good. I mean, he, he, we, we, we love Lou here in this area. I mean, all over the world, all over the country, uh, the globe, really. Lou's a, a known commodity. But in Tampa Bay, he's, he's our guy, man. And, uh, Thank and you. And we, we know that uh, he was, you know, struggling with the... With a little bit of the cancer thing, but we're, we're, on, we're on a mend, and we need him for a long, long time. Yes. Lou, um, I'm going to go right at it. We were just talking right before we started. Um, the game of baseball's changed a lot. You, you've seen, it's changed you a know, whole lot. You, as a player, 60s, late 60s, 70s, 80s, manager in the 90s, the, into the 2000s. How much has the game changed from simpler, maybe, you know, small ball to fun ball, I called it, with the Reggies? And, and now, you know, it's that ball. Now it's that ball. It really is. I've never envisioned that baseball would get so stat-oriented. Uh, I, I like the way that we played the game when I played as a, as a player. And I like the way I, the game was played when I managed. Now it's just a different game. I mean, I can't envision middle infielders striking out 150 times and staying in the lineup and making a whole lot of money. Now, I don't begrudge the players for making a lot of money because they earn it. Their careers aren't that long. And, and uh, the, the, the game of baseball, the owners prospered quite a bit. Dramatically. Yeah, so, but, yeah, you know, it seems to me like the hit and run, the bunt, there are things of the past. You don't do those things. But you I don't will steal say bases, Harley. And I, I, when you, what I notice is that throughout the season, yeah, they're not doing it. Then all of a sudden comes playoff time, and they're looking for that because yes. they want to win the big games, the big series, no and they question. try to go back to that, and some kids can't even do that. That's the problem. They can't make the, adjust, the adjustments in postseason. If you did them constantly during the year, you'd get pretty good at that. But, uh, yeah, it's changed. It really has. Uh, the home run ball, the strikeouts. Uh, I like action on the field. You know, to me, a good game is 7-5. to five. Uh, I don't like to see the pitchers dominate as much as they do. I think the people, when they come to the ballpark and a good hitter comes up the home plate, nobody walks to the hot dog stand to get. They want to see that guy swing the bat, right? So, but it it has changed, and I like the way the game was played before. 
and I hope that uh, we get back to it. One of the things that I think that will help the offense some this year is the DH in the National League. I think yes, that's sir. been a long time yeah. coming. People want to see <clears throat> players that basically can't play on the field every, anymore every, on an everyday basis, but they can still hit the baseball. And that keeps around these, these, these names for a long Nelson time. Nelson Cruz. No question. Yeah. Nelson Cruz is a perfect example, yes. I'm going to preface this question just to provide some context, especially for listeners. But here, I'll, I'll feed it to you, and then I'll provide some context. Is it harder to manage now? Is the job harder now, or is it harder back then? And, for example, I think some fans know, hey, there's more information there's front offices that are helping out. There's more co- of a coaching staff. There's more data. Um, but there's probably on the manager less decision-making. Like you had more authority years back where it's, hey, whatever Sweet Lou says, that's what we're doing. Some front offices maybe make the decisions for the manager. Others have more of a balance. I will say, talking to interviewing managers currently all the time, the one thing they bring up to me, like even someone like Dusty Baker, um, still managing and, and has managed for Tony many years. Tony Tony LaRusso, they go, there are so many media obligations now. They're like, i got to talk to this media set, then that media set, then do this TV interview. Yeah. Not complaining about it, they're just saying it's very time-consuming. So when you blend all of that together, what do you think? Harder to manage now or back then? I think it's harder to manage now, I really do. The media obligations are immense. There's no question about it. And, you know, that's one of the major functions that a major league manager has to perform, handling the media well. And guys that have done it, like Joe Madden that was here in Tampa Bay, he Dramatic. did a great job at it. And uh, the decisions that have to be made today, they don't want starting pitchers. Listen, if I managing the Mariners, when I, and I went to the, out to the seventh inning with Randy Johnson throwing 100 pitches, he'd tell me, Skip, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> get out of here. Get, get right? back in the dugout and watch me get these out, these guys out for another two innings. I, I, and another factor, and you, you'll laugh at this one, because now you have the, the, the MIT guys. Not, it's not the owners, you know, calling you. It, it's the, the, you know, the stack guys, you know, feeding. So as opposed to when you were managing, it was George actually calling you on the phone, probably. Yeah. George, <laughs> George, George, that George was a big second guesser. He, he, he loved to make decisions after the decisions were made that they didn't work out. But you're right. Now it's it, it's statistics. Uh, it's it's you go into a major league front office, and whether it's Cincinnati, whether it's New York, whether it's Seattle, wherever, Tampa Bay, you see a bunch of young kids from Ivy League schools, and they're sitting there in front of computers, and they're pumping out information, and that's all they do. They have it right, though. I will you say know, some some of them do a nice job with it. Others, but you know what? The players still have to perform on yeah. the field. That, yeah. That's basically yeah. the, 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 the crux of the matter. It's not a r- video game. It's real life. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're right. You know, players have to perform. And myself, I used, when I managed, uh, I, had a, I, used, I used a little bit of statistics, but only to keep percentages on my side as, my, as a manager. I felt that as a major league manager during the course of the ball game, the more I could keep percentages on my, on my team side, the more we would win because the players are the ones that went on the field. They're the ones no that doubt. perform. Right. So what was the average day like as a manager? Like take me through, you wake up, what happens all the way through the Well, end of the I, I don't believe in this getting to the ballpark at 1 o'clock or one thirty. That's you what know? they do and now. watching TV, yeah. uh, getting a massage, 
You know, a lot uh, of them, the young ones come in early because they want food because you get food all day. Yeah, you get they food come in all 12, day. Yeah, you know, when, you we know? Played, when we played, all we wanted was a hot cup of coffee and a cup of soup, and we were ready to go. To go. Yeah. Now, it's, it's a menu. You're right. It, 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 but, yeah, I, 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 I didn't get to the ballpark all that early. If, if it was a 7.30 game, sometimes, believe it or not, I would ride the team bus to the ballpark. What do I have to do there for four hours, you know? <laughs> I mean, what, what do you do? I, I don't know what you do there for four, four and a half hours before the game starts. Look managerial. Sit in your office. Sit in your office. You want to take a nap by the time the yeah. game starts, you know? I agree. But, uh, yeah, it, it's harder today. It really is. There are more demands on you. There are more decisions. There's more information. There's no question about it. When I played... Um, you put your best lineup on the field. You let these guys play. They're the ones that are going to win and lose for you. And I have to be familiar with the other team's personnel so I can match up my team against them. And at the same time, players make out the lineup. People think that managers make out the lineup. No, players make out the lineup for you. If they're doing well and they're performing and you're winning baseball games, that's it. It's a simple thing. That's what you're going to go with in relief? If the guy's no, hot, I mean, you're going to no bring question. that? You know, let me ask you again. You've seen incredible players, both you played with and, you know, from Thurman Munson to... Yeah, I've been Greg, blessed. You've been blessed and really managed. The great yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, and my guy Ichiro. Oh yeah. Uh, you know what? What is right now in today's player that you watch has what aspect of the game has impressed you the most between pitching, hitting, defense? What 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 prowess? Well, is you know, you like to see players that can that can play both sides of of, of offense and defense. Right. Uh, players that have some speed so that you can during the course of the ball game as a manager maneuver a little bit. And then you want some power. There's no question about it. But these lineups that get power, 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 they get in slumps, and, and you don't score a oh, run no. for, for, for days. Right, you know? exactly. And they're easier to pitch to. You know, it frustrates me now when I watch the games to see players take a nice slider or a nice fastball on the other half, half of the plate, the outside part of the plate, and not offer at it. Right. I mean, right. my gosh. How would a guy like Catfish Hunter pitch these guys? Oh, he would, he, he, he would have tricked them left and right. Oh, my gosh. Catfish, catfish could hit a gnat's ass <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a fastball or a slider in the outside corner on a 3-2 and two pitch. He was that good. He really was. And um, the players that I had that, look, Ken Griffey Jr. was the best player I ever managed. Ever. I, there's nothing that this kid could do on the baseball field. He could hit. He could hit for power. He could play the outfield like one of guys angels, had a good throwing arm, and could steal a base. There's nothing he can do. Uh, in fact, I remember when we went to Arizona my first year uh, managing the Mariners, and Junior would hit these towering fly balls to right field, and this just keep going. And I said, boy, the ball's really carrying well here in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> then the season started, and we'd go to Detroit, we'd go to New York, we'd go to Cleveland, and the where. same thing. The ball was traveling everywhere he went. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it was beautiful. Yeah, and then Edgar Martinez, what a hitter. Yeah. My gosh, what a hitter. I'm so, I'm so glad that he got elected into yes. the Hall of Fame a couple years ago. This guy here could hit a baseball. I mean... He could stay inside the ball. Yeah. He could hit the ball down the line, down the other line, right center, left center. Unbelievable. Um, Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. Another. You, another got, you got him young. Yeah. You got him at 19. Ichiro. Oh, my God. I remember. Was... I'll tell you a funny story about Ichiro. You know, we had him my first year managing the Mariners uh, as a 
uh, a, a player that the Japanese sent over to sure. Seattle for right. spring training. Right. Now, we could play them in games. We could uh, uh, use them for practice. We could see he had a great throwing arm. We could see that he could run. We could see that he could make contact. My only concern a little bit was I want to see if he can catch up to a major league baseball consistently because they throw harder here in the, right, in right, the States right, than right. they do in Japan. So we're playing about our third or fourth exhibition game of the season in, in uh, Peoria, uh, Arizona, where we're spring training. And he kept fouling the ball over the, my, uh, our dugout, oh, dugout hitting the ball side. to left field. I called the interpreter over and I said, tell Leecher I want to see some bat speed, okay? So they go and huddle on the corner in the dugout, and they're laughing and so forth. And two innings later, Ichiro leads off the inning. They threw him a high fastball. He hit it over the right center field wall for a home run, rounded the bases, stepped on home plate, came to the dugout, and he said, Happy now? I said, Yeah, what the heck you want the rest of the yeah. I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to bother you at all. He was a fun player, too. Oh, he was a fun player. So, look, there wasn't anything this young man couldn't do on the field. I believe really it. was. He's a great arm. player. Yeah, it's so many things. Yeah. I, I got to play against him before I retired in Japan, and I was just, you know, I knew he was going to be great. Oh, my gosh. You know, people had no idea that he was in another level. It wasn't Japan. It wasn't the major leagues. He was in another, another level. Another level. You know, he bailed a little bit, but he stayed over oh, at the and top. And his hand-eye coordination. And his hand-eye coordination. My sick. gosh, great. He could serve the ball anywhere he wanted on the field. And I'll tell you the truth. I think if he wanted to hit the ball for more power, he could have if he wanted to. It, it BP is legendary. Yes. Oh, unbelievable. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. That's a ton of talent. And a ton of different personalities. Yes. So how did you manage the psychology portion of your job, right? And well, I'm saying, know, like, if you had tough situations, what was the Lou Pinella game plan? Like, what was going on that we couldn't know about inside the office? Well, what I, what I, what I tried to preach more than anything else was stay together as a team and believe in yourselves. Those are the two biggest things. Stay tough. I like tough players. I really did. If a guy didn't, if he was a little bit of a candy ass or something like that, you know, I, but you wanted guys that they're tough. Yep. Toughness wins. Talent wins. Toughness wins. It. But, but you also had, you know, you had young Lou manager and then you had more veteran Lou manager that eased up a little bit because in the, in the, in the early years, how he, how he answered that was like, he'd get in the guy's face. Because <laughs> yeah, you were a young manager, yeah, you know. Yeah, you learned that. And, you know, you know, you know the the, I'm the, one the of players. the few managers ever uh, that never managed one inning in the minor leagues, right. never managed mm -hmm. one inning in winter ball. I went from a player yes. in 84 to a manager in 86. So I only had one year as a coach. That's right. That's right. And, and I coached for Yogi, the hitting, hitting instructor, as a hitting instructor for Yogi and then for Billy. And That's Billy and, and Yogi were two different personalities. Oh, wow. yeah. Dramatically. Yeah. One's quiet and said, and the other one's loud as that. Yeah, yeah. a, a, a quick story when I got called up. So, one of my first games in Yankee Stadium, uh, Dan Pasqua, uh, another Danny, prospect. Danny's a good hitter. Oh, my God. Good the hammer. Power. power. And, and he's on second, and I come up, and I get a base hit up the middle, and Danny uh, is get waved home, but he stops at third. And uh, uh, Ferrara, what was your third base coach? Uh, Mike Ferrara. Mike Ferrara, man. And, 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 and he's waving him, and Danny, for some reason, stopped. And th the next half inning, I'm in there, and, and he pulls Danny into the down in the stairs. Hey, what are you doing? He sent you, and you just cost that guy his first RBI in the major leagues. And I'm sitting there going, I'm okay. Yeah, right, he's going to base it, right. I'm fine. You know, it's <laughs> amazing. The third base coaches over in New York, when the coach for me, G. Michael, the snake. Oh, great. Uh, and he had two signs. 
One for George and one for the runner. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Just so he can cover himself. So he can cover himself. <laughs> oh, I, I had him going, George. No, I stopped him. And he's letting him go off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, it was funny. What about, so what about if a player comes into the office, hey, Skip, you know, I want I, I want more playing time. I, I like move it. up in the order. I yeah, love that. it. You were into it. I love that. I love a player to come into my office. And if he wanted to get on me, too, let him. Listen, I mean, it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. But I love players. I had a guy from the Dominican Republic. Stan Javier, and he'd come into my office when I was in Seattle, and he'd say, you know, I need Spicy. some playing time, yeah. nice, and this guy's a good player. Yeah, switch hitter. A switch yeah. hitter. Did you not have a, was, was the and, spot? And, and now I play him four or five days in a row, and he'd come into my office, and say, listen, I'm not making that much money to be playing every day, you got to get me a rest. That was Stan, too, he was, Stan, Stan yeah. was honest. Yeah, but I like players coming in and telling me, look, uh, you're, you're not using me the, the way... I feel you should be using me, and this is what I feel like I can do, and so forth. I'll give them the opportunity. Yeah, I'll I give like them that. the opportunity. Yeah, no question. What was the, what, like as far as playing uh, the funnest year? That I mean, you guys won championships, obviously. And you had the, the seventy-eight was 78. my favorite year right. ever. Right. You know, Walk we won in seventy-seven. Right. Uh, we added Goose Gossage as our closer, and uh, we started the season favored to win the American League uh, East. And, 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 and probably to win another World Series. And uh, we were 14 and a half out at the All-Star break. 14 and a half games out. And, and Boston was in first place. And Boston was a pretty darn good team. Right. You know, they had uh, a lineup of, yeah. of, 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 of All-Stars. Righty, lefty, yeah. power, average, yeah. good defense. They had Tion as a starter. They had Dennis Eckersley as a starter. Torres. They had Mike Torres, yeah. Torres could pitch, Sheesh. and and then you had uh, Bill Lee, the spaceman. Bill Lee, Come yeah. And then in the bullpen, you know, they had they didn't have a dominant dominant bullpen, right. but they had Sue Campbell. Sue Campbell. And they had uh, 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 Bob Stanley. Yes. You Big know? Bob Stanley. Yeah, Big yeah. Bob Stanley. And we started making right after the All Star break. We picked up six games on them to get it to eight and a half, and we fought with them all summer, and finally. Uh, by Labor Day weekend, we went there and swept them, and we left there tied with them, and 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 then we opened up a three-game lead on them in September, and on the last day of the season, uh, uh, they caught us again. So now we had to go to Fenway Park right, in 1978 and yeah. play that game, and what a ball game that turned out to be. Bucky then hit two home runs all year. I know, and he hits a three-run homer. Yeah. They, they hated him ever, ever yeah, since they hated him in Boston until yeah, this day. I, I know what they say. <laughs> I know yeah, what they say. Yeah. It's not Bucky, but it rhymes with right, right, Bucky. Right, yeah. exactly. It's exactly a special right. place yeah. in Boston's no heart. Oh, but, uh, and, then, and then, you know, Goose, Goose that day uh, pitched two and, a, two and two thirds innings for yeah. a save. See, you, know? don't, you don't remember that. No, you, you don't, don't remember think that. think he closed yeah. it out, so maybe the last three outs, but Goose was. Yeah, eight, nine outs. Yeah, no, it was it was it was a heck of a ball game. In ninth inning, I made a nice play in right field to keep a ball, but get the sun is so bad in, in Fenway. It was only a single deck, deck stadium at Correct. that time. Now it wouldn't it wouldn't happen because they put the upper deck on there. Right. But yeah, it was a heck of a ball game. I think we won five to four, and Yastrzemski popped out with two outs. The nettles the at third nettles, base. I remember that. And, and, he cradled and, it. it. Yeah, and like, there was a runner on third. Right. And, you, and, you know, I'm standing out in right field, and I see Shremsky pop it up, and I said, great. And all of a sudden, the damn ball never came down. It stayed there forever. <laughs> 
But what a game that turned out to be. Ooh, I, I, and then we went on and swept Kansas City in the playoffs and then beat the Dodgers again in, in the World Series. It was oh, a, that's my favorite year. My gosh. In fact, that might have been the, the World Series. I believe that was the World Series where Reggie had the infamous uh, hip ball. That, that yeah, and I, I, I was a hitter. I, <laughs> hit, I hit it off Tommy John. Yeah, I hit a nice <laughs> shot up the middle, and the shortstop made a nice play. And he flipped it, and then Reggie st stuck Oops. his hip out. Yeah, no, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, we don't, yeah, yeah, no, he, he did. He did, yeah. but Tommy yeah. couldn't prove it. The sort of came out and argued. There was no replay yeah, on that one. He came out and argued, the sort of. They, they should have given the sort of a little plate of pasta. Unbelievable. Believe it or not, Lou, and this will freak you out, but I was sitting behind your uh, dugout in that game. How and, about that? Yeah, my uncle, I was, I was in high school in Miami. He said, you want to come up and watch the Yankees play a game to uh, 3, 4, 5? And I go, of course. And, and he oh, had me box seats for games 3, 4, 5 with me and my cousin. God, nice. Yeah. That was yeah. a nice thrill. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it, they were all like, good games. The Dodgers were oh, good. Oh, they're great games. Yeah, the Dodgers had good teams. And, and, and I'm like, I, I want to play here one day. And these guys, thank God, I, I got and a chance. And you did. That's nice. Break, break you had a nice career. Right? Thank you, buddy. Yeah, you really thank did. you, buddy. I tell you, you know, for me, as far as, you know, your lore and your history really is – uh, how fascinating it is that you were a great hitter, man. People don't realize how good a hitter you were. And I remember you saying one time that I, go, I can always hit a fastball. Even even when yeah. you were like in your 60s, you were well, like, I can't. Yeah, I retired when I It took me a while to get to the big leagues. I was the oldest rookie of the year ever in the American League you? at 25. Really? And I was well, happy. KC, right? With KC. And yeah. I'm happy that Ichiro came around and he took my title. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 28 or 29 yeah. as he played in Japan. Yeah, seven years, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And it, but it took me a while to get to the big leagues. I played my first year in Selma, Alabama in D-ball. Mm. The second year in Hampton, Newport News in the Carolina League, which is B-ball. Then I played for... legit minor league. Yeah. And then I played double-A ball in Elmira, New York for Earl Weaver. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was an adjustment. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. Young was Earl Weaver, Weaver putting on a show back then, too? Oh, he put on great shows. <laughs> no, no. And then, and, then, and then I played for uh, uh, some really good guys. Johnny Lippon, Red Davis, and Portland of the Pacific Coast League. I played three years there. So I had over 3,000 at-bats at the minor league level. So, so, so when I got to the big leagues, I was I, I had enough experience. I really should have been in the big leagues. I think one year before, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad that I, I got I, I got my last year and, and then I played till I was 42 almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean you. Well, I can still hit the fastball, bro. He could come off the bench when he was 44, yeah. 41, 42, and I'll go with the Yankee fan. But I, I couldn't hit the changeup. <laughs> I couldn't hit the changeup. Yeah, yeah. But, man. Between that, the playing days, the managerial days. Before O drops his big question at the end here, I want to go back to where you started, where you said, hey, I don't miss the travel. I mean, baseball is tough. It's Very every tough. day you're all over the place. And I even remember at one point, right, there was a story where you were really considering not taking the Mariners job, I want to say, because it was just it's far away. It's, yeah, it was it's more travel way. for the fam. So what was that way. like to manage? I think just for people to understand, well, you know, hey, we, we these guys get paid a lot. It's fun. It's baseball. But hold up. Your whole life is all over the place on the road. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of travel. And when you play on the West Coast, yeah, my gosh, you make that trip back West and you, you get in it five, six in the morning. Yeah. And a lot of times you play that night. And and, and postseason, we had good teams in Seattle. We got the postseason a few times. Never got to the World Series, unfortunately. But it was tough going back across the country all the time. We went from Seattle to Cleveland, 
Seattle to Baltimore, Seattle to New York, it's not easy. Yeah, uh, every flight. you've done long. it all year. You're not near anywhere Now, one thing, one thing that I can tell you is that you get on these trips, and the first thing the airline stewardess hands you is a nice big cheeseburger and, and, a, and a glass of wine. That's why I have type 2 diabetes. Because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't eat one cheeseburger and one glass no, of wine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, baseball is not even his best sport. Oh, by all means. Oh, no. hey, a lot of people don't know this. That this is the hoopster extraordinaire still holding records over at Tampa Jesuit High School. Yeah, I think they've been broken. No, my son goes to Jesuit, and I still see Lou Pinello up there with them. Well, maybe but you, were, you were you were a big uh, I was, basketball. I was I was what you call a shooting guard <laughs> before before Steph Curry. Exactly, exactly, a shooting guard. Exactly, I didn't pass. The you didn't ball pass. Ball. No, you just, I didn't, yeah. You, yeah, but you don't have to if you're doing what you were doing. No, we. I average. I average uh, thirty-three points a game Ooh. my senior year. What are you talking about? Yeah, 30, 30, 30, not thirteen. Yeah, thirty-three. 33. And hey, how long? I mean, was the high school basketball games was it eight minute quarters or something? Eight minute quarters. Eight minutes. Dude, yeah. Look at that. Dude, you're averaging over shooting. a point a minute. It's, it's not nothing. His teammates yeah. didn't want to pass him the ball because they knew they didn't get it back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, but they can grab it at the bottom of the net. That's true. That's true. No. But as far as that, and, and talking about Tampa Jesuit, your love of Tampa, and, and I think I it ties in. It ties into you going away. Because a lot of managers stuff, they'll stay. A lot of players stay in Seattle yes. and, and make that their home. Yes. But you, you, you talk a little bit about hey, the, listen, the tradition Tampa, of Tampa, Tampa Bay. Tampa's a wonderful, wonderful city. It's uh, got a great Latin heritage. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm of Latin descent, and um, I love going to uh, uh, Jesuit High School. I went to the University of Tampa. Right. Uh, and and I married a Tampa girl. I <laughs> married 55 years. She was Miss Tampa, believe it or not, no, in wow. 1962. How about that? And we've been married. And so it, it's easier for me to come back here because my wife's got her family right. too. But right. at the same time, I love this city. I really do. Tony Larusa is from here too. Tony's Didn't from you here. Play with him? I played with Tony in American Legion ball post 248. How about that? Yeah, and he used to hit second in the lineup and I hit third. I remember. I remember. Baseball he signed game. a $100,000 bonus contract with Oakland. And I always considered myself a, a, a little better ball player than Tony. I said, boy, I'm going to get a ton of money, too. <laughs> I, I didn't do as well as he did. But he's had, he's had a great career, oh too. And he's a, he's a, he really has. He's a manager. Yeah. My gosh. Second to none. Yeah, what a run. Yeah. I drop it up. Well, I'm going to drop it on you. I told you before that you've got to have you've had time. I, I pre preface you. With the no way Jose question, uh, what do you think would be one or more, you know, kooky stories from your baseball world? I have quite a few arrested. I'm going to tell you the first time I met Mr. Steinbrenner. Okay. okay. Uh, this was in 1974. I had been traded from Kansas City to the Yankees. Kansas City being a smaller market team, the Yankees a storied franchise. So I was a little nervous about spring training and getting myself uh, started. So I showed up a day before in Fort Lauderdale, and I went into the clubhouse, and I went to my locker, uh, and no uniform. So I introduced myself as a guy that they had traded uh, for from Kansas City, and I told him I wanted to get started and get the kinks out a day early. And he said, Mr. Steinbrenner saw you coming in, and he says he wants you to go right across to his office. He wants to talk to you. So now I walk across the parking lot over there. And I knock on Mr. Steinbrenner's door, and I told him, George, I said, this is, uh, uh, I'm Lou Pinella, the guy you traded for for Kansas City. I'm really excited about being here, and 
I'm here a day early to get started. He looked at me and said, you know, son, he says, I'm glad you're here a day early, but you know your hair is a little long. We have a strict air haircut rule here in New York, and I don't like the locks on the back. He said, you got to go get them trimmed. I said, well, I didn't, I told him, I said, I didn't see the correlation be between my hair being a little long and not being able to play baseball and, and do well. And uh, told him, I said, our Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest person that ever walked the face of this earth. And every picture I saw of him was with long hair. He didn't say a word to me. He grabbed me by the hand, followed me. He walked me across the street to the Fort Lauderdale swimming pool. He pointed to the water and he said, if you can walk across that water, you can wear your hair. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's George. That's Mr. Steinbrenner. That really is. Unbelievable. That was, my to that, level. that was my introduction. That was my Obviously, I went over and got my hair <laughs> right away. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. That's a great story. Uh, he, he walked you over to there. Yeah, that was oh it. My he, he pointed to the water. He said, Walk across that water, you can wear your hair. <laughs> that's great improvisational skills. I mean, that's how he you thought of that on the fly. Oh, let me. Let me oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're that cute, huh? Yeah. Let me take him across. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Lou, it was it was awesome having Thank you in the lounge. I Thanks for stopping it. by. We you really it. appreciate it. Nailed it. I mean, stuff. Yeah, Lou's in his upper seventies. He's seen a yeah, lot of baseball. He has been around the block. And I mean that in a good way. I mean, he just can cover so many decades of baseball. And I think that baseball players, correct me if I'm wrong here. Oh, especially someone like Lou Pinella, they just have more right. stories in the vault than, than most other athletes because of the way that baseball is constructed as a sport. Correct. I mean, that's what it is. And, and Lou, I mean, we should have had him on for two more hours knowing Lou and being around him as much as I have here in Tampa Bay and being lucky enough to, you know, be my first, you know, big league manager. And, and I love that man because he truly personifies baseball and kind of like the true grit of yesteryear carried over into, you know, uh, the, the Hollywood players of the 80s and the big Reggie Jacksons into, you know, the, the big home run guys. And then obviously, you know, the uh, analytics. But I'll tell you what, the reason that I love talking to the, I, I fell in love with, with, with Orestes Mini Mignoso, uh, you know, one of my dearest friends right now is, is Louis Tion. And those guys, dude, would play for 11 months. I think they only took December off, I think, buddy, because they would play winter ball. So the camaraderie, the every day, think about it. There's no other sport where you're in it day after day after day, maybe one day a week to drop, maybe. You know, back in the day, they just played and played. And, and then spring training every day. So how could you not create in a plethora of dynamic stories while you're on the road in the clubhouse, you know, in football and other things, there's a, there's a touch and go in between those, those games that you don't, you can't, you just cannot have the camaraderie and the togetherness of that game matters that day. You know what I mean? So bro, I, it's a beauty of baseball. And, uh, and one of the things about the lore of it being so Americana, I love it. Yeah. Game day is different. Game day creates a story and yes, Baseball is in the volume business. I mean, there are just more games. So there are naturally going to be more stories. Sure. Can there be something Maybe ridiculous too many. going on at practice, <laughs> a fight or something? You know, yeah. but, but how many practices in general, any athletes out there, even if you're just going back to your little league days, like how many practices do you remember versus game scenarios? You know, like just, how those many are times? more memorable clips of life. 
How many guys have you interviewed away from baseball that have told you, well, I remember this one practice on a nondescript Wednesday that, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, Barry Sanders broke this run. You know, it was in practice, you know what I mean? Or, or we were talking in the, you know, at the commissary. No, bro, uh, everything pertains. And you, you finish a game, and back in those days, they would get on trains. I'm fascinated by those stories. And that, that you know, uh, Louis Tiant would tell me, he goes, bro, we were, you know, everything wasn't flying when I started. It was trains and buses. And and uh, and I was throwing 300 innings a, a year. 300 innings a year, Scotty B. That is, that is a very different game. <laughs> Slightly. Yeah. And, hey, we get into that. We love the modern stuff, too. The guests that you'll see will span really all decades of uh of the game i mean to an extent i don't i don't know if we'll have any guests from the 1800s but you know what i'm saying eh, you know <laughs> in memory we're gonna cover in, a lot here in spirit we will hopefully exactly know. we'll get some stories <laughs> probably we might get some stories from from really oh, far yeah. back in the day so here let me oh, yeah. let me take you back as usual a little of these week in baseball history um, and we include a first for one future Hall of Famer and a milestone for another. So let's start with April 20, 1967. Mets great. And actually, former MLAM, a Major League uh, Alumni Marketing, which helps us put this all together, President Amen. Tom Seaver earned, here you go, the first of 311 career victories, a 6-1-W over the Chicago Cubs. And they had some pretty big names on that team. Ernie Banks, what? Billy Williams, Ron Santo, and uh, the 22-year-old Tom Terrific. Eight hits, let's see, one earned run, seven and a third. And the 22-year-old rookie fan, five without issuing a free pass on wow. the day. So win number one of many to come for for Tom Terrific. And one thing about him, you know, such a competitor. And I heard an interview recently from Nolan, you know, the great Nolan Ryan, you know, and, and he came up, he was a youngster when Tom was kind of already establishing himself in, you know, the Miracle Mets and, and in the early 70s, right? So he says, who would take Tom Seaver out in the fifth or sixth inning like they do now with starters? Even if like the third time around, he, you know, he's not as sharp. I go, I'll take Tom not as sharp in the sixth inning than anybody else in the bullpen, you know, because he was so good and so competitive. And he goes, that's a little different about what's going on with the analytics. And one day maybe we'll have guys like some Nolan or somebody, or even my boy, Louis Tion talking about the difference of trying to complete games as opposed to what goes on now. Yeah, of course. And you know, I'm going to push back a little bit because I'm a little more of your, mo your modern spin. I know. So I, 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 but know. I play the middle game a little bit. That's what I'm here for. You know, I'm kind of I bringing all worlds together. Thank I'm a, you. Thank you. you know, I'm a peaceful man. You. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right, let me throw a few more this week in baseballs at you. Uh, 20 years later, after the Tom Terrific story, we just went over in 1987, April 18. You had the great Mike Schmidt of the Philadelphia Phillies connecting for his 500th career home run. His wife, Donna, was seated behind home plate. Phillies were down a couple runs, two outs, top nine. And Schmitty smashed a Don Robinson pitch. It was a three-out count, by the way, over the left field wall at Three Rivers Stadium. It led to a victory for the Phils. At that point, he was the 14th member of the 500 home run club. And obviously, it was, it was a historic home run, and it was a clutch home run. He, his, his great quote was, whoever wrote the script for this should win a Pulitzer Prize. That's a good well, one. Like that's a that. great quote. Michael Jack Schmidt. 
One of the greatest. I got two more for you. Let's uh, let's go real far back. April 22, 1915. This is my favorite one of the week, okay? Wow. The New York Yankees said said yes to the dress. No, said yes to the pinstripes on their uniforms for good. So they had a temporary run of stripes on their unis during the 1912 season. And right. don't believe the rumors, okay, that some, some said – they had stripes for camouflaging Babe Ruth's beer belly, let's call it. <laughs> <laughs> that, apparently, that's not true, that. according to the books, okay? Right. Oh, I'm here right. to clear it up. History goes like this. It's, it's, it's a less sexy story, but the new <laughs> team owner at the time, Jacob Rupert, simply liked the style. And he, he, he simply bought the team for the equivalent of what would be about 12 million bucks in today's money. So if we're doing yeah. the whole inflation with the dollar and all that kind of stuff, I think the Yankees are worth uh, a bit more than that these days. So uh, uh, also Mr. Rupert probably should have held on to the team, but no big deal. Maybe he's buried in pinstripes. That's all we can Yeah, but it's nice and simple. And hey, he created an iconic look that still holds true today over a hundred years later. So that's cool. And let me, let me sneak in one more quick one here for Do you it. just because I'm, I'm a fantasy baseball guy and this one's a lot more current for people. I mean, it's still not in the uh, 21st century, but it's just shy of it. 1999 this week in baseball history, Fernando Tatis senior. I'll call this the ultimate fantasy baseball inning Grand slam with the Cardinals grand slam. Wait, but then did you say it twice? Cause I, I only said it, say it twice. Oh, two grand, slam? two grand, grand slams. Slam. <laughs> in one inning, both off of Chan Ho Park. Are I remember that moment. I was born in 88. I remember 99. That was, okay. you know, one of my first like statistical baseball memories when I was really getting into the stats. Oh, I was like, dad, what are the odds slams in an inning? That? What are the you odds know, of that ever happening I, again? I was playing MLB triple play 99. And I was like, I can't create that unless I'm on rookie mode. So, <laughs> so much has to happen. Gigs. Yeah, Forget about being a lot. talented. So much has to happen for you to come back around with the base loaded. I, you know, in a, in 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 college, I hit a, a grand slam in in the state finals in, in junior college state finals, left-handed, then came back around and hit a two-run homer in the same inning, right-handed. But I mean, it, just the chances of having another base loaded, you know, chance just to hit two grand slams in a game period is is phenomenal. But Fernando Tatis has his son. Uh, by a lot with that one. I mean, it's somebody at $400 million, but he doesn't have two grand seven one in it. Yet. Yet. I'm going to finish <laughs> oh, it with a yet. You never look know. Look at Scotty B. Yeah, you Tatis like that. Yes. You like that youngster. You like hey, that. Hey, I love what He's one of those guys in the sport where – Plays and hard. hurt right now, but when he plays hard, but also yes. he stands out. I mean, he's tall, like the movements. Ridiculous. The, yeah. the, the, on, on defense, I know he's had some ups and downs on D, but he's smooth as can be. can make some ridiculous plays. The bat is off the charts. Off um, the I mean, charts, he's a big bro. dude at shortstop, and it's just one of those players that – you can't take your eyes off of. And usually no. there's a Tatis moment per game where you go, remember Tatis did blank. There's not many players in the game where you can, you can recall right. almost each game. Like if I kept a journal of all Padres games for the year, I would say, and today Tatis did blank. Like there's not many players. You know, it's almost like the practice conversation you had, though, where you're like, hey, yeah. you're not going to remember every practice. Well, for Tatis, I'm remembering every game related to something that he did and, and there's not many that can do what Nando's who, 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 who would you think game. back in the day that would maybe like a Griffey Jr. kind of as yes. far as the dramatics 
I would say Griffey, that, that Griffey is a great example because, yeah. it, and it doesn't always have to be, because that's the thing. It, these are multidimensional players. And these Correct. are guys also that might even do something that is not necessarily just a home run or a sick defensive yep. play. It might even be something else. Like it might even be yeah. something on the style game, right? That he, he shows up with the, with the cleats of the year. Like there's so much that he brings there. So no, you know, props he, he's to, a, props he's to a, his dad on that one. <laughs> no doubt. And to Griffey senior too. <laughs> Where are they now? How about Kevin Euclid? Let's go a little more on the modern side of this storyline. And again, talking about a player that has diversified the portfolio after the game of baseball. Oh, so Euclid, the Greek god of walks, former first and third baseman, spent some a lot of time with the Red Sox, a little bit of White Sox, a little bit of Yankees, retired in 2014. And in 2016, Euclid and his brother, same name as me, Scott, uh, purchased the Los Gatos Brewing Company and Los reopened Gatos. it. Los Gatos and, and what's the cats. Gatos? The cats. The cats, but, man. The cool cats. But they took the cool cats away and they reopened the brewing company as Loma Brewing Company. It's a brew pub in Los Gatos, California. Cool. And the brewery was subsequently named a year later the 2017 California Commercial Beer Brewery of the year. And I know Yuke is still hustling, working hard on that business and really loving it. I saw him somewhat recently. And then he's also dipping his toes into broadcasting a little bit more with some work with Nesson. So here's another, you know, big success story. Always. I oh, think yeah. it's a special time for former players here to, to get involved with legends lounge and, and listen to what some guys are doing after the game of baseball. It's like, what are some of your favorite things? Well, Yuke's like, I love beer. Let me, let me, I, I made yeah. money. Let me, yeah. uh, let me buy a brewing company yeah. and get after it. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I probably had a few after every game. You know what I mean? Got to, you know, kind of mellow down after the hype of the game. A lot of guys enjoy a, a nice, uh, you know, IPA. And, and, and then he became a, uh, a, a connoisseur and an aficionado. And why not? If you've got a few bucks, but I'll tell you what, the thing I remember about Kevin Euclid, number one, very smart hitter. And obviously, you know about the walk. But as a former hitter, it's about the batting style, bro. Because the most unique, crazy batting styles were back in the day, Bobby Tolan was bat all the way up. Uh, Rod Carew. I mean, he falls in that category of strangeness. Julio Cesar Franco. Um, obviously, you know, uh, uh, Greg Council, now manager, weird as hell. And then the Euclid was famous. For the violin, his hand slide, his slide, his slide, you know, the front of the bat or the top of the bat, and then he would set up. It was almost like a trigger, and uh, different than Gary, because Gary was an aggressive Gary Sheffield, by that I mean, was an aggressive twitch. His was like a, you know, operetta, and uh, man, was he very good with that, and uh, and a pretty solid first baseman. So that's what I remember. But now I guess he's uh, he's he's uh, flinging base hits uh, with beer. It's just a guy you want to go grab a beer with, as we, I use that term quite frequently with the guys I want to hang out with. If, if I want to go grab a drink with him, Uke fits the mold because drinks are on him because it's his company. So <laughs> we'll put it that way, okay? And, uh, hey, O mentioned Chef. We did an episode with him last time around, and on the Legends Lounge next week, we will have the great Dante Bichette talking about his life with the Rocks, his life after baseball, which really continues now in baseball and his son, Bo. So free pass as always weekly here 
in the lounge next week. Dante Bichette in the house. See you soon. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.